Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, it's a goodly morning. It is a goodly morning, yeah. It is. Uh, An away win, a clean sheet, and probably our best performance of the season as well. Exactly. You know, it's <laughs> one of those where you just sit back and enjoy it. You know, In- I don't know about you, but I had a cigar on... Um, Glass of wine. It wasn't remotely worried about Watford scoring a, <laughs> a late equaliser. The one thing that inc- amazes me, to be honest, is that shot they had from about 40 yards that hit the bar didn't go in. I mean, that was a huge surprise because that felt like the kind of goal I was convinced we were going to concede. Like an inc- one of those sort of Neil Mellor horror strikes, <laughs> a kind of Danny Rose nightmare of a long-range thunderbolt. Um I, I yes, have, it was nervy stuff. I have to say there was no end of variety to the goals that I could envisage as conceding. The more it That's went fair. towards the 90th minute, the longer it was 1-0, the longer we huffed and puffed and weren't able to blow the Watford house down, The, the I just had visions of every kind of goal going in. I thought, you know, somehow we'd concede a penalty or there'd be an own goal or there'd be a scramble in the box and you know Watford had their chances which I'm sure we'll come on to but I suppose first and foremost it was a win a vital win it moves us into the top four uh, above Chelsea with a game in hand on goal difference albeit and that's something we're going to discuss in, in a few moments time as well so let's accentuate that particular positive before we touch on on everything else I mean is there anything more to say about the whole thing than that uh, not a huge amount I mean it was a game we desperately needed to win and we managed to do that uh, would we have managed to do it against 11 men I'm not quite so confident mm. but Look, we we did squeak it and we got the points. And, you know, it it sort of goes without saying, but let's say it anyway, at this stage of the season, I do think that is paramount. It it is, yeah. But, I mean, where do you stand on this? Like, well, at this stage of the season, the result is the only thing that matters. And, you know, I get it. You can say that. It's a lovely, perfectly cromulent soundbite that everybody will go, yep, that's true. At this point of the season, results are far more important than performance. But you can't ignore performance either, can you? When you're facing into, you know, an away day in Italy where we're taking a nice lead into the second leg against Napoli, that's some comfort for us. But we've also got to go to Wolves 
Wolves. We've got to go to Leicester. We've got to go to Burnley to get enough Premier League points to to finish in the top four. Fingers crossed. Mm. You know, you can't just look at the results in isolation. I mean, I mean, if you can, if you're one of the people that can do that and just sort of ignore everything else, then I, I envy you in a way because you know, your life is much more simple than mine is. But, you know, we can't sit here on the podcast and just say, well, Arsenal won. And that's the most important thing. So let's not discuss anything else. You know, you have to, I think, look at the result in context, not just in the context of the season, but also within the context of the game that took place last night. Arsenal played against 10 men for over, what, 80 minutes, more or less. And we made really hard work of that 1-0 win, which was great. The win was great, but it was hard work. That's definitely true. I do think that it's more than just a soundbite to say that at this stage of the season, the result is the overriding thing because my expectations are not for this team to dramatically change between now and the end of the season because there are only <clears throat> five Premier League games remaining. Mm. And I think the fact they've been so poor away from home for the vast majority of the campaign, I don't really expect that to change. Um, and if we can somehow scrape results from that situation then I do see that as a positive. I don't quite know how... I know I know. yesterday, for example, the Watford game, it's like we definitely underperformed. We were definitely poor, but yeah. I'm not sure there's any sort of eventuality where we suddenly are brilliant on the road. No, I don't, um, think, I don't think we should be brilliant. I'm not saying that we, you know... In my um, slightly optimistic uh, mind yesterday, I was out walking the dog and I was thinking, you know what? This could be one of those nights where Arsenal, you know, we score early, we score a second, they're pushed mm. back, or they try and come out and they leave space and we score again. It's 3-0 at halftime and then we control the second half and everyone goes, wow, that was great. And I realise, of course, you know, I was just daydreaming in the same way you daydream about, you know, winning the lottery. What would I do if I won the lottery? It was about as realistic as that. But at the well, same I, I, time... I, I, no, hang on. That's what they should have done, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm saying. Like, I don't expect us to be all of a sudden brilliant away from home. But what I do kind of expect is that when the opposition is down to 10 men, they lose their captain, they lose, you know, a talismanic player for them, a really important player, one of their leaders, having just gone a goal down, I really felt like the moment was there for Arsenal to to take take the game by the scruff of the neck. And instead, what we kind of did was sit off. You know, we 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 went, oh, we're we're a man up. This is not going to be as difficult as we thought it was going to be. Now, let's pass the ball. Pass, 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 pass. You know, and it was it was not the reaction that uh, I I wanted to see from from this Arsenal team. So that's where I'm going. I'm not expecting massive improvement overall, but within the context of that game, I don't think we did enough with the players that we had on the pitch. No, I don't think anyone would... Performance-wise, not result-wise. Let me just keep hammering that bit home, okay? I love the result. I love the three points. I love the clean sheet, all of it. But we're here to talk about the rest of the game. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think anyone who watched the game would have to agree with that. Um, we ought to have done far better than we did, and it was kind of absurd going into the last 10 minutes that it was still as close as it was. I mean, we were a goal-line clearance away from dropping two points in that situation. I don't know what's happening with my voice today. Hang on. <clears throat> yeah, we were got a goal line clearance away from dropping two points, which is 
scary, you know, yeah. absolutely terrifying. But that is the experience of watching Arsenal away at the moment. It is, yeah. Look, it, it's not necessarily something that was surprising to me, but still a little bit disappointing. So we'll touch on the bits and pieces in the game. Let's talk about team selection. Mesut Ozil didn't start. I didn't expect him to start. I wasn't necessarily expecting the back four that we got. I kind of half thought that we might see a back four, but I wasn't expecting to see Mustafi at right back and, and Dinos Mavropanos getting his first start in over a year. Um, I think I wrote, no, I, definitely I, I, wasn't. I wrote in the blog yesterday that, that Emery tends to have a, you know, a joker up his sleeve every time there's a team selection. And this was that one. Uh, Mavropanos... Uh, I've got a question about him later on, so we won't touch too much on his performance, but, you know, your thoughts on the team's uh, selection in general. It won't be Mkhitaryan in. That was no surprise. Yeah, I, th- I thought they would start. I thought Aubameyang would start. I thought Ramsey would start as yeah. well, actually. Um, but, yeah, the back four, I mean, you know, we used it at Spurs, and that's kind of held up as our uh, one of our more positive performances away from home. I think the main reason it was out there, to be honest, was... You know, I kept thinking it was going to be a back three, but there are two players in Maitland-Niles and Kolasinac who it really feels like there are kind of no real rotation options for in that three-at-the-back system. You know, I don't think he trusts Jenkinson. I don't think he trusts Licksteiner. Uh, I don't think he really sees Monreal as a wing-back. So I was worried about where those guys would get a rest. And I guess, you know, having Kolasinac spend the entire game on the bench and Maitland-Niles just play a period in the second half does afford them that opportunity and, you know, to have Ramsey behind Aubameyang was in theory, you know, quite a, a potent idea. You know, I could see that that with the platform of Torreira and Shaka behind, I thought that looked promising, uh, but it never really allowed us to exert the control that you might have anticipated. No, especially against 10 men. So, look, uh, you know, I thought Watford started the game quite brightly, actually, um, until such time as, as we mm. scored. Uh, people are focusing very heavily on Ben Foster and his role in that. And I suppose when that kind of a goal goes in, you have to look at the goalkeeper and say, you know, he didn't do well enough. And, you know, had it been the other end, I think people will be giving Bernd Leno pelters. I think, though, that as much as Foster will deserve criticism for his role in that goal, Aubameyang deserves a lot of credit for his because when you look back at it, it's a sort of a ball across the box from Aaron Ramsey, which goes to nobody. Aubameyang is the guy who closes down the defender. Um, they were talking on Sky last night about how he should have gone up the line and cleared it up the line. But of course, you know, teams want to keep the ball. Aubameyang forced him back inside, you know, uh, left him with the option of playing it back to the keeper. And then his pace and his determination to get to the ball was for me as much a factor in that goal as, as Foster's mistake if you like yeah I think Foster's touch was heavy and he's a left footer isn't he so he was still trying to get it back onto his good side but the speed at which Aubameyang closed the space was fantastic and at a point Jamie Carragher made on Sky he said you know I think he's quite brave the way he hangs his leg out and I know that might seem like nothing it's just sort of blocking a shot but you know, I think Olivier Giroud broke his leg doing something not dissimilar, hanging a leg out to block a, a clearance. Mm. And uh, the way he sort of went for the ball, it was, you know, quite brave of him to go into that challenge. And he got the a, the bit of luck in terms of the direction of the ricochet. You know, he didn't know too much about it once it, it hit him, but it was the luck he deserved for that hard work. And I do think that's probably a little bit an underappreciated aspect of Aubameyang's play, I think because of some of the misses maybe or the lack of sort of technical finesse that we sometimes see in his game I think 
we forget he also works very, very hard. And if he is a limited player, uh, he really does absolutely maximise that and make the most of it by mm. intelligence and hard work. And uh, this was a great example of, of both those things. Yeah, and ultimately this is a game that will go down in the record books as uh, a 1-0 win for Arsenal in which Aubameyang scored the only goal. You know, a game we ground out a win, you know, I think you know any player that scores a winning goal is going to be is going to be held up as somebody who made a, a very uh, important contribution. I think he did yesterday. He had some misses as he tends to do. Uh, his all round play is you know at times confusing, but ultimately you know he got us a goal. And on the night, it was hard to see where uh, a goal was going to come from uh, from anyone else because we weren't really at the races from an attacking point of view. We'll come back to some of that, but then the sending off Troy Deeney. You know, here we go. It was going to whack the first Arsenal player and see who doesn't want it. The referee doesn't want it, mate. That's your problem right there. Any any um, doubts for you that it was a red card or not? No, not really. I mean, I think it was. I think it was uh, a, a little bit soft, if I'm honest. But I don't think he's could can complain. I mean, ultimately, there's an unnatural raise of the arm. He doesn't need to do that at all and I just think it's incredibly stupid of him I mean essentially he gives the referee, referee uh, uh, you know the, the opportunity to send him off and he does I, I, I was absolutely delighted to be honest yeah so was I I mean couldn't happen to a nicer fella and all that kind of stuff and you know uh, if you put yourself about like that and if you you know I don't think he's done himself any favours with the comments that he's made about Arsenal in the past you know all mm. of a sudden you draw attention to yourself and Dini is a physical player. He's a big guy. You know, he likes to get stuck in. He likes to be physical. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you stay within the uh, within the, the rules or within the laws of the game. The minute you transcend those and you've been mouthing about how you want to whack players and how you want to hit them and all that kind of stuff, you immediately make it very difficult for the referee to give you the benefit of the doubt. So as much as his behavior and what he did last night got him the red card, his big mouth also played a part, I think, in that sending off. Yeah, it definitely puts a spotlight on you. And when you are that sort of player, I mean, that's the last thing that you want, isn't it? You kind of want to sort of carry out the dark arts in the shadows. And he was there front and centre. I mean, Sky were talking about him before the game and, you know, everybody was talking about him because of the comments he's made in the past. But since those comments, he's now missed a penalty against us and been sent off. So, I mean, there's rather a lot of egg on his face at this point. Yeah, and what, is that three games in a row Watford have lost against us now? Since he made those comments? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the problem is, and the only caveat I would offer is that I think I've said similar things about this team on, <laughs> sure, on the it's, podcast. Sure, it's not before. necessarily causing correlation here. I'm just, you yeah. know, it is quite yeah. funny. That's all, you it, know. It's... Yes, it is funny. <laughs> it is definitely funny. So look, 10 men, Watford, uh, I thought, as I've said at the start of this programme, I thought we should have really taken control of the game. I felt like we played within ourselves. I don't know if that's our, our inherent nervousness away from home, that even with 10 men... We were anxious about the fact we weren't at home, that we were playing away. It just felt a bit slow. It felt a bit pedestrian. And in the in the first half, it was Bernd Leno who was the busier of the two goalkeepers. He made a great yeah. save 
I think it was Ducouré, wasn't it? Um, Xhaka misjudged a ball into the box. He let it float over his head and he, he made a really, really good save down at his near post. And then the mm. save from Capu, the free kick, was brilliant. You know, so it, it just illustrated to me how inhibited we we still feel away from home, even when we've been handed a big advantage. Yeah, I think it is... I think it is in part the away thing. I can't help but wonder as well if it is also kind of where this fixture falls, the way it's sandwiched between the two Napoli games. If, you know, we, we spoke after the Everton game and see about how the players seem to be sort of lacking a certain intensity, a certain focus. And then we saw them play against Napoli and granted that was at home, but that was all there all of a sudden. And it, it does make me wonder if, I don't know, maybe there's just a, a slight sort of psychological emphasis within the squad towards... The cup, I don't, it, yeah. it, it seems illogical, but it, that's what the evidence seems to suggest. Yeah, I know we talked about this on, on the last podcast, but you know, when you're when you're playing away from home with ten men, we should have been the ones that were energized. We should mm. have been the ones to dictate and control that game. We had an extra man. We did very little to take advantage of that extra man. You know, I know sometimes it's it's difficult to play against a team who have ten men because all of a sudden they just get organized. They work themselves into you know the classic two banks of four, and then they've got one man you know to to sort of cut out the lanes um, up front. But you know they stay organized, and it can be difficult to. Uh, to break that organization. But, you know, if you move the ball quickly enough and if you stretch the play and if you if you move them around rather than let them sit in this defensive organized uh, position, you know, with the way that you play, you can move them around and create space. And we didn't do anything like that. I think we thought, OK, we're, we've got an extra man let's just make sure we don't do anything stupid here, you know, and get get caught. You know, I felt like in some ways it inhibited us. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely some truth in that. Um, it's funny because the way our goal came about, you know, the note that I made, I made notes during the game, and it was about the fact that against Everton, I felt we were on our heels constantly. And in that instance, Aubameyang was absolutely on his toes. And mm. I just thought that was exactly what we've not been seeing away from home and it gave me a real sort of sense of optimism at the start of that game and then when the the sending off happened that kind of was doubled down but yeah we didn't really follow through on it I do think um, it was partly tactical actually and I might you know this is just opinion but I felt we really missed uh, Maitland-Niles and Kolasinac because I felt that Mustafi and Monreal couldn't get forward in the same way and when I think about our attacking shape and our attacking movements it's so frequently that kind of V shape with the the wide players outside of the inside forwards and Instead, we had Iwobi and Mkhitaryan, and I don't know if you noticed this, but without the wing-backs pushing on, they were very, very wide. They were much wider than mm. they usually are. And Mkhitaryan barely was involved in the first half. I think he played like 12 passes in the first half, which was by far the lowest, of I think, of any outfield player, certainly in Arsenal colours. And uh, it just felt like we didn't quite have the shape to sort of pin Watford in and uh, we didn't have the sort of movement patterns that we're accustomed to. Mm. And I know we'll probably get onto sort of Emery's tinkering, but if I think that might have been why in the second half he did sort of look to to change the shape eventually back to that back three, which was, but, uh, when it first happened, a very difficult thing to decipher. Yeah, but I don't think uh, that the move to a back three in the second half was 
tactical in the sense that he wanted it to affect the way that we played. I think what happened, and we can talk about the first substitution, but I think he looked at Mavropanos and saw a player who had made maybe one or two misjudgments in the first half Mm. and made a bad one in the second half, which almost left Watford with a two-on-one. And I think it was Koscielny who made a, a very timely tackle to prevent that. And I think he went, okay, right, let's get him off. Let's get Mavropanos off. I can push Mustafi in. We can use Iwobi and Mkhitaryan as wide players in a 3-4-3 or whatever it is. Uh, So I don't really think it was to do so much with tactics as getting Mavropanos off the pitch. And then he realized that it hadn't worked. And and the the interesting or the the funny thing about it was that after halftime... And after we brought Mesut Ozil on for Lucas Torreira, which I don't think you can necessarily say was a um, defensive substitution in any way, even if it wasn't the one necessarily that I was expecting, because I thought, you know, Mkhitaryan was kind of lucky to stay on the pitch because he'd been so poor in that in that first half. I just think that his tinkering there or the, the way that he made that substitution had a really negative impact on us, you know, and we'd had a couple of good... Which one, sorry? I, I, I think the, the Genduzi for Mavropanos substitution was bad. I think that uh, that one was kind of different to the Urza one. I, I, like when you look at Emery's changes, I think you always have to look at sort of game management. You know, he, I, I think Torreira, yes, he had a knock. Yes, he was a bit worried the referee was going to level it up. But I think Torreira coming off at half-time probably tells you Torreira has got a very good chance of starting on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he said the atmosphere was getting to him, which I, di- I didn't really understand because, you know, Torreira didn't seem in any way worried about the atmosphere. And I liked that he he got them annoyed. You know, there was another foul on him, actually, which could have been a, which could have been a red card. You know, yeah. stood straight down his leg, you know. So I think... You know, the excuse that Torreira uh, was being affected by the hostile atmosphere of some Watford fans, that's a load of bollocks. He did mention some pain that he might have had. I'm not sure I necessarily buy that. You know, um, he says he expects him to be okay for Thursday. The Ozil for for Torreira, look, it, it gave us more control. In the first 15 minutes of that first half, we had two very good chances, if I can remember. Um... There was a low cross from Iwobi, which went just wide, and I think Aubameyang wasn't far away from yeah. from getting a touch. And then there was a, a brilliant chance for Mkhitaryan. Iwobi set up um, uh, Mkhitaryan at the back post. I, I felt like his his finish lacked conviction. Uh, you know, Foster made what some people will say was a good save, but I think it's a bad miss when you're that close to goal uh, and the ball is on a plate for you there. I think it was a bad miss from Mkhitaryan. So it wasn't that we weren't creating chances. He then brought on... Genduzi for Mavropanos. We went to this sort of weird back three. Mustafi moved back in alongside Koscielny, Monreal. We have Iwobi and Mkhitaryan in positions they don't really look mm. that comfortable in. And all of a sudden, Watford got back into it. So I don't think what Emery did helped us uh, at all. And especially... Would you, have led, would you have left Mavropanos on? Probably. I mean, that, that's the problem. Probably, like, yes. I probably would have because, you know, it was a little bit of a mistake that he made. But, you know, we are playing against 10 men. And I think he was always going to take Ramsey off. 
I don't think yeah, Ramsey. That's why Ramsey was always going to come up. He was, you know, so he was never planning on playing Ramsey for ninety minutes because we need Ramsey on Thursday against Napoli. So what he's done is he's in some ways hamstrung himself because he's made his three substitutions. One of them, you know, I can sort of get why it happened, and we can discuss Mavropanos a bit later on. But you know, it robbed us of perhaps of bringing Lacazette on, um, who I think would have been somebody who could have had a serious impact on the game and would have caused Watford more problems. So rather than us sitting there worrying about how Watford were going to score, we could have changed the momentum of the game and made them worry about how we were going to score more. I mean, do you not think we need to look at our finishing as well? Because I think as much as we say we didn't have any chances, I mean, we had some really good chances, I felt, like that we didn't yeah. take, particularly that Mkhitaryan one. Uh, the Aubameyang one you mentioned there was another Aubameyang one at the near post wasn't there where he made contact but it just sort of came off his foot the wrong way yeah. uh, with the cross from the right hand side there was a left I mean, footed shot as well that he yeah Mkhitaryan from the edge of the box as well do you remember after a pullback yeah. fired wide he had sort of a terrible five minutes Mkhitaryan where he sort of couldn't hit the target for Toffee. And, and and that is the curious thing I mean our XG was only something like two or something like that from the game but you know, as much as we were poor, we still had the chances to provide that cushion and that sure. platform. Sure, uh, And we didn't do that. And as, again, as long as we didn't do that, that was an issue. I, I think that Emery in this game, I, I might be wrong, but I think there were two things at play. I think one is Thursday, and I do think that had a massive impact on his changes in the game. I think that influenced the Torreira substitution. It obviously influenced the Ramsey substitution. Mm. It probably influenced not using Kalasinac and potentially not using Lacazette. I genuinely think that that might have been in his mind. But I also think that there was a kind of odd tactical game at play between him and Javi Gracia, who are... By all accounts, old teammates from Spain. Yeah. They both changed their system going into the game. Uh, and a little bit when, like, Emery goes toe-to-toe with Pochettino and you see sort of a couple of different formations within the game, I just felt like there was a sense of sort of trying to second-guess each other. And, you know, when Isaac's success came on, uh, it, it oughtn't be a game-changer, but I think it sort of weirdly yeah. was a bit for Emery. And I think that he was probably caught trying to be a bit too... Yeah, clever. I, I don't think that the players quite understood what was happening and why it was happening, you know? And it's not, I don't think it's any coincidence that in the, the five minutes after we took Mavropanos off to put Genduzi on to shift formation and players are still working it out, they hit the bar, cracking shot mm-hmm. in fairness, but I, I, you know, I have a question or two about uh, Mkhitaryan and his uh, effort to try and close that down. And mm-hmm. then if you remember... There was um, there was a moment where Mustafi got caught and he didn't know whether to go to the ball or to go with the man and he sort of got caught between the two and he fell over as the ball was played through to Andre Gray in our box and Gray took a really, really heavy touch yes, and it went straight through. And I've seen a lot of people talk about Mustafi this morning and say, well, he was really good. And look, he did. He won a lot of headers and everything else. We'd be talking about a different Mustafi performance if Gray had managed to control that ball and had a shot on goal from 10 yards out, you know? So I don't, you know, for all the tinkering and the explanation for Emery's tactical changes, I don't think they were positive. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I can I can see the logic. I can see the rationale. Of course, we have Thursday in mind. I think he probably was a bit too hasty with the Mavropanos 
Um, substitution. I'm not saying Mavropanos was particularly good. Uh, I think he had some real troubles in this game, but I don't think it was the right thing to do to take him off, put Genduzi on to run around like Genduzi runs around. I don't think it gave us any more structure or security. And in fact, for a little while, it made us worse. And until he put Maitland-Niles on, we didn't really find any positional shape or discipline. Uh, and when Maitland-Niles came on, we looked better again. So it was a substitution that he got wrong that he had to correct. And he corrected it in fairness to him, but it was a bad yeah. it was a bad change, I think. It made a big difference when Maitland-Niles came on, certainly. I mean, uh, Emery did go to some lengths to try and explain the series of changes. I don't know if you heard or read his comments we might as well go through it and see if we can get any close to understanding it so he said uh, in his press conference first I decided to do the change of Lucas Torreira because after the red card the atmosphere is against him mm-hmm. uh, I think like you that's I think that's a bit of a translation issue I think it's more about the referee potentially you know trying to level things up or something like that I doubt he thinks Lucas Torreira is worried about the the cauldron that is Vicarage Road anyone who's been to Vicarage Road knows that's not quite the case um and then he said, and also the doctor said to me in the first half that he has a little pain for Thursday. And I decided, OK, it's the moment. So I think that tells you Thursday was by far the more significant thing in his mind. OK. Then, from there, we played the same system, 4-2-3-1, with Shaka and Aaron coming closer to Shaka for the build-up and mess up behind Alba as a midfielder. Right. That's made sense to me. It was a change I understood too. You know, Ozil's someone who is normally a very high-touch player, helps yeah. you control possession. Did, did you, Did you? just before we go on with this, Did you? what did you think of the way that Ozil positioned himself when he came on? I felt like, I know Watford were sitting in their, their block and yeah, he was trying to get uh, between the lines a little bit, but I just felt he was not as available as I would have liked him to be. That's interesting. I didn't notice that, but I did sort of generally feel that he wasn't as present as I would like yeah. in the game. Well, I think that was uh, it. He was sort of positioned a bit too closely to to some of the players. I just wonder if he could have dropped deeper and then, you know, used his ability to to get somebody else between the lines. But hey, that's a, a different thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, to me, it was one of those games where kind of it felt like everything. Uh, came down Iwobi's flank again, which is often the case, I think, when we play away from home. He actually ended the game, I just saw the stats this morning, with seven chances created. I mean, I don't know how good some of those chances were, but... I thought he was quite good. I thought Iwobi was quite good. I mean, he tried at least to make things happen in the final third. You know, particularly in that first half when there wasn't much going on, you know, there was at least some ambition to the way that he played. Um, You know, he didn't have anybody really outside him until the second half when Monreal started making a few overlapping runs. But, you know, he didn't have that in the first half. Um, I, yeah, I think he takes criticism because there was that break in the first half, yeah. wasn't there, where we we had a man over and he went for the shot, it was blocked. I mean, it was probably the wrong choice, but I do think that that uh, unduly clouded, I think, perception of his game. I think he was pretty good. Yeah, um, OK, so let's get on with the I feel like I say that. I feel like I say that every week, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to repeat myself. So Emery goes on... Um, so we deployed Mesut behind average midfielder. He then says, we didn't control like I wanted to control the match. We are thinking, and I was thinking, to play with three centre-backs to be enough for our build-up and use one player more in the middle. 
like Matteo as a possibility to help with Shaka, help with Aaron and Mesut to give the security in the midfield. And I think Alan Smith, was Alan Smith on commentary? He mentioned that Arsenal went to a kind of a box in midfield, didn't they? They had G- three at the back. Yeah. Then they had Gunduzi uh, and Shaka deep and then Ozil and Ramsey ahead. It didn't work. I mean, I think we all saw it didn't really work. And then Emery went on. But I didn't do this decision on the pitch with all the control I wanted, uh, which is a very confusing sentence, but presumably means this didn't work like I wanted it to. Yeah, that, yeah. So after I changed yeah. and recovered with a four-two-three-one with Ainsley, um, essentially he went to three at the back. He thought that would work at the, with the four in midfield, and it didn't. I mean, he doesn't mention Mavropanos, but you think that that was a big motivator in that switch, do you? Yeah, I think it was. You know, it was a, um, it was like a minute or two after he he made that that um, that mistake. You know, so I mean, Emery's thinking what we're all thinking. He's he's looking at Arsenal playing Watford with ten men and thinking we should be completely dominating at least possession, if not the entire game. But we never really had that sort of security in the match. Mm. Uh, and, you know, even with players as competent ball players as Shaka, Ganduzi, Ramsey, Ozil, it never really felt like we had control. No. And that, you know, that it, is alarming. It is. That a, is really alarming. It is a worry, you know, because you know, we do have three more away games to play against opposition who may well uh, have 11 players on the pitch in sure. those games. Um Oh, and I don't think we win that game against 11 men playing like we did last night. I no don't chance. think so. No way. No way. Um, we very nearly drew it against 10. Yeah. You know, so the, the, that's, you know, it is a worry. You know, we can be as delighted as we want about the win and the fact we're in the top four. Absolutely. I'm on board with all of that. But, you know, I think the other the other thing that, that springs to mind for me this morning is the fact that it's so tight in this race for the top four, that mm-hmm. goal difference could well play a part. And I think there was an opportunity yeah. there for Arsenal not to score five or six goals, but maybe score two or three or four goals against a, a team down to 10 men. You know, remember, we did have on the pitch at, at the one time we had Ramsey, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Iwobi, Aubameyang. You know, it's not like we were short of attacking talent on that pitch and you know you got Xhaka behind who is you know somebody who people talk all the time about how he contributes to our our attacking play from deep um, whatever that stat is you know about how passes from deep contribute to mm. to to events that take place in the final third so it wasn't that we you know were, were just sitting off and uh, didn't have the players on the pitch who could make a difference we did but I think there was an element of us being rabbits in the headlight Rabbits in the headlights again, you know, away from home. And for me, that was a disappointing aspect of this game. You know, the goal difference could be really, really important. Andrew, this is how important it could be. I, this morning, before we did this show, I know we did our predictions back in, I think, March it was, before the Spurs game, just went through again and just kind of revised my choices from this point on with the new points tallies. Oh, you've done, okay. And I swear, I can't believe this. I need to double and triple check it. But I input the results that I think will happen 
And I have Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea and Tottenham <laughs> finishing level on 77 points. <laughs> Holy shit, could you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's with... So Arsenal, I predicted to win uh, three... I mean, to be fair, I was quite conservative. I said we'd win three games and lose two. Right. Well, so, look, just to sort of spell out where that might leave us um, in terms of goal differences at this moment in time as it stands Tottenham plus 30 Arsenal plus 26 mm. Chelsea plus 21 Manchester United plus 19 so we do have a Decent little bit numbers. of an advantage there but would you feel a bit more confident if we'd scored you know three or four goals last night I think it could well have been beneficial to us. And that for me is just, I just feel like it's its a missed opportunity. I, I realize that a way we're so bad that confidence is going to grow really slowly, isn't it? It's going to be yeah. incremental. It's going to be baby steps and all of those things. And look, if they can take confidence from this, and I think Aubameyang in his TV interview afterwards seemed quite happy with, you know, the fact that they'd won the game and the fact that he'd scored and, and, and said, look, we're we're really happy tonight. And I guess you would mm. be when you don't win away from home that often. That's only our second win in 10 away games in the Premier League. Of course, you're going to be happy. away from home that often. Yeah, that's true as well. So, you know, we, we do have reasons to take positives from the game. It's just that in the context of everything else, um, there are there are elements that are worrying. I I do agree with that, and I I have always worried about going to Leicester Wolves to a slightly lesser extent, Burnley, and I will continue to worry about that. Despite this win, there is nothing really that gives me any great confidence. You know, there's a reason I, from these five remaining games, I'm still predicting two losses, and it is those away trips. You know, I just don't see us taking maximum points in mm. those matches. I, I do wonder if with a if we get to Sunday. And we get the right result Thursday and, and Sunday against Palace, when, whether we might take a step back and look at four games in however long it is, 10 days, and ultimately reflect on, well, look, that's a very good period if we can do that. Yeah. But there's no doubt the performance left a lot to be desired. Um, I, I think I have slightly more sympathy for Emery in that I, I can see the logic behind his changes and I kind of feel a bit frustrated for him you know ultimately what more can he do against 10 men than put Meza Ozil Aaron Ramsey and Granit Xhaka out on the pitch and expect to control the midfield against Watford without one guy I mean I, I do think that is a reasonable expectation but well, we were controlling and- it till he brought Gendouzi on and we were making chances until he brought Gendouzi on and nine minutes after bringing Gendouzi on, he had to make another change to fix the mistake that he made. So, you know, I, I t- absolutely, yeah. I take your point. I take your point, but I think, I think you're, you touched on something when you spoke about this sort of one-upmanship against uh, mm. Javi Gracia, mm. you know. Yeah, there's definitely an element of that. You know, let me do something that he doesn't expect me to do and see see if it works. And then very quickly he went, uh, uh-oh, this yeah. hasn't worked. <laughs> I better, I better yes. fucking change it. But well, look- thank goodness, to be honest. And Maitland-Niles' introduction was crucial, wasn't it? Because <clears throat> that late block, Brilliant. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's two points right there. Fantastic piece of defending from him. So, look, 
we got there. We're over the line. We've taken three points. We've won the game. We've got a clean sheet. Uh, you know, if the players can take confidence from this, then then all well and good. You know, we've got a, got a game against Napoli uh, on Thursday to think about. We might touch on that in, in part two. We've got some mm. questions perhaps about the Napoli game. Um, anything else you want to discuss about last night? Do we need to mention Troy Deeney and his cojones again? I don't know that we do, do we? We don't need to picture, <laughs> don't need to picture uh, Troy Deeney's massive space hopper balls. I suspect that uh, he won't be mentioning them. Uh, very publicly anytime soon. I, I hopefully he'll have learned his his lesson here. Mm. I mean, I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hope not. I, long may the fun continue. What's he going to do after a missed penalty and a sending off? I think would you? What will it be? An own goal in the next game against Watford? Uh, yeah, that would be. Yeah, that would be it, wouldn't it? Or he off to, his cojones. Yeah, yeah, and into the top corner. Yeah, he has to go in goal or something crazy like that. That would be fun. <laughs> um, all right. Well, look. Um, yeah. That's it. I think, you know, we've covered we've covered everything that there is to cover about that particular game. We look ahead to Napoli. We'll take your questions on other things besides in part two, coming up right after this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Patreon member Discord chat server. We have a specific channel in there. So if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, you can join up, you can ask your questions in that specific channel in the Discord chat room. And that is where we're starting today, James. Um... Mm. It comes from Jay Takezo, uh, who's Jay underscore Takezo. And he says, clearly signs of an experience from Avropanos, but shouldn't he be credited for a decent enough performance on what was tantamount to an away debut in a difficult London derby? We're crap away and Watford are a top 10 Premier League side. He's no holding, but couldn't a run in the side next to our captain make all the difference? I, I find it tricky the Mavropanos discussion because I really believe that this mm. guy has just been hyped out of all proportion uh, mm. out of sort of desperation really for him to be the answer mm. 
And the question I'd ask is, like, what centre-halves are flourishing at the top of the European game at his age with his limited experience? I, I can't really think of any. Um, I genuinely can't. I mean, maybe the guy who came through, who's like Varane, you know, he was playing at that sort of age and, and, and bossing it. But Yeah, but he was, just, he was playing. But he was playing. But also I feel like he is kind of an exception, you know, to mm-hmm. be that young and ready for that level of football. So there's part of me that goes, well, the kind of myth of Mavropanos took a bit of a dent yesterday during this game and I think that's probably no bad thing because it, I do find it slightly frustrating that every week people are like why isn't Mavropanos playing and I sort of suspect well because people watch him train every day and they don't think he should um, I still I could see why they picked him because you're up against Troy Deeney and Andre Gray two very physical guys and he is you know a big physical specimen he's, he's strong and he's quick and he's decent in the air but he's just got so much to learn and I I firmly believe he's got to go out on loan and just learn his trade because he's in danger of sort of having the same thing happen to him that's happened to so many other young centre-halves at Arsenal where he doesn't get regular football. When he does play, he looks raw and inexperienced because that's precisely what he is. And those the mistakes he makes in those games become sort of damning indictments that are held against him and that affect his confidence. I just think he needs to go and play. That's that's my take on it. Yeah. What about you? I tend to agree. You know, I, I think we all would like him to be the great commanding centre-half that we want Arsenal to have, but realistically, he's still very young. He's vastly inexperienced, uh, as you've said. He's had quite a number of injuries as well, um, mm. and he is basically playing his first game for a year. So, you know, on that basis, I'm not going to be too critical of his performance. I I think it's understandable that a player who hasn't played a Premier League game for a year and is thrown in, you know, in a difficult enough fixture, albeit in circumstances that turned out to be a bit more favourable, is going to find it a bit tough. You know, I I think you have to say there's, there's a show of faith in him and his ability simply by picking him in the first place. I know Socrates was injured, but, you know, they can't have looked at Watford and thought, well, this is going to be an easy game. It's going to be physical. It's going to be tough. So they were confident enough in Mavropanos to pick him in the first place. So I think that's something we have to acknowledge. But like you, I think he, he has been held up as not Mustafi, if you like. And that that that, is a lot of it. yeah, Yeah, that is the key thing. He is... Not Mustafi, but he is a long way from, I think, being ready to to play regular first-team football for Arsenal. Where I might slightly differ with you on this is that I can see how a loan move would be beneficial. However, I think maybe I keep him around, but very much play him in the cup competitions next season and use the cup competitions as a way to give him more first-team football with Arsenal because I just wonder if it might be slightly more beneficial to him if we do have enough faith in him to to consider him a player for the future. Maybe it would be better for him to play for us semi-regularly than go somewhere else and play and get battered every week, you know, playing for a lower 
lower echelon Premier League side or, or a, a team in the championship. So that's where I yeah, might differ yeah. with you. But but well, he's a long way from being ready for a run in our first team, I think. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I always think of the example of someone like Andreas Christensen who plays for Chelsea. You know, he spent two seasons between 2015 and 2017 on loan at Borussia Mönchengladbach. He played 62 games for them. Uh, and I just think that when Chelsea got him back in 2017, he was 21, but he played 62 Bundesliga games. And suddenly it's a very different prospect. You're dealing with a guy who, at that point, I think, sure, throw him in for a game. I, I think, you know, have him as a rotation option. I just think he needs that experience. I think he needs those road miles. And my, and my choice would be to send him, yeah, maybe outside the Premier League, where mm. I, I agree there's sort of no point in going to... Huddersfield or wherever it might be and uh, you know learning because it's actually a very different thing playing centre-half I think in a team like that than it is at Arsenal and I think the requirements are slightly different but I'd like to see him get some more experience under his belt I can see the raw attributes like everyone else Um, but I yeah I worry about uh, us having to pay the price for his, his you know learning and ultimately you know he's not Mustafi and Mustafi makes a lot of defense mistakes, but if you learn one thing about young defenders, it's that they make mistakes too. Yeah, they do. And that's it's part of learning and it's part of the process of being a defender. You know, you could see yesterday his eagerness to get to the ball made him misjudge a couple of situations. He didn't make mm-hmm. any absolute massive clangers, but it's inexperience in a young centre half. There was one with Gray, I think, in the in the first half, where he went to win the ball from a position where he shouldn't have gone to win the ball, but it's impetuous, and he wants to. He wants to be physically imposing, and he wants to to win those duels because those are things that central defenders thrive off, and the, you know, they're the things that people consider as key performance indicators in a defender. You know, but it's about mm. understanding when to go, when to attack the ball, when to drop off. You know how you deal with a situation like the one uh, in the second half. You know. If you go, you have to win the ball. You either get the ball or the man, or you're getting exposed. You leave your team exposed. Those things can't happen and won't happen without playing regular football. Um, you know, all the work on the training ground and, and all the advice from, from central defenders who have more experience at the club will only go so far. So, you know, there is a need for him to, to play more before we can really make any uh, assessment uh, of him and, you know, his talent. I, I guess in some ways it's like, remember when we were struggling a bit during that period, you know, mid-season where we were, we'd lost the unbeaten run and we didn't look particularly great and everyone was saying, why aren't we playing Saka? Why isn't Saka in the team? And you're thinking, hang on a second, he's not in the team because he's like a kid. He's a 17-year-old kid who has no real first-team experience. And there is an understandable desire for us to see young talent come through and make the breakthrough and and be brilliant. But the reality is 99% of the time, unless you've got a prodigy on your hands, at 17 years of age or at 19, 20 years of age uh, as a central defender, you're going you're gonna to be in, in a position at your, in your career where you're still very much um, in, the, in the learning stages of it, you know? Mm. Um, so I think we have to be realistic about Mavropanos when it comes to that. 
And the mistakes he made last night, you know, that kind of impetuous thinking, going for the balls he didn't necessarily need to go for. I mean, that's precisely what saw him sent off against Leicester a year ago. Yeah. And because he's not played any football for a year, you know, that rawness, that edge is still there in his game. And it will take time and it will take experience for that to be worn away. And I, I hope he really develops. I mean, I know Socrates has said he thinks he's got all the tools to be, you know, as good or better than him. I mean, there's, I take every comment like that from a player with a pinch of salt. We mm. remember Ron Van Persie saying Rio Meacci was one of the three most talented young players he trained with. But <laughs> I, 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 you know, I can see the raw materials there in Mavropanos, but I kind of, yeah, my hunch is still I'd rather make see him make those mistakes on someone else's books. By the way, this is not a, a question. This is just a tweet that we had from Joe, who's at Red and White 11. I know you saw this, but I thought it might be interesting for listeners about uh, Andres Palop and Unai Emery in Rama Molina's biography of Emery. Did you see yeah, this? Yeah, I saw this. You, you can read that out. Go on. Yeah, well, well I mean... not it, the whole thing. I won't read can... it out because it's a couple of pages, but um, he, he sent in a little excerpt. I think it Sevilla had... Was it their final league game of the season and they Could kind been, of needed yeah. to win it to secure uh, Europa League qualification? I think it was against Valencia. It was a big game. And... Uh, Palop, who was 40, was retiring at the end of the season and had been injured and had been out of the team. I think a, a younger goalkeeper had taken his place in the team for the final few games. He thought, oh, I'm not, it's a shame, I'm not going to play my final game for the club. And for that final game, Emery brought him back in and started him as captain. And I suppose the relevance of it is, you know, we were debating last week what he might do with Czech and Leno in the Europa League. And um, we spoke about him as someone who's maybe a bit more pragmatic, but uh, I think that anecdote at least would seem to suggest that he does kind of have some room for sentiment as well. So it'd be interesting to see how that affects. I certainly think Chet will play on Thursday, that's for sure. Yeah, I think he will. I think he will. Um, have you got uh, a question oh, there? Yeah, I do. Uh, the question's about goalkeepers, and it's from KB, who's at MFWB17 on Twitter. KB says, please finish the sentence. Leno is having the best season as the Arsenal goalkeeper since... Dot, dot, dot. Wow. That's a really good question. Um... Since I mean, I think there has to be an argument for Czech's... Is it Czech's first season he won the Golden Glove, didn't he? 16 clean sheets or something mm, like that? Yeah. Um, it's hard to think, isn't it? Because so much of um, the last few seasons have been like a blur of terrible defending and, and everything mm. else. Um, I, Leno made two excellent saves. Or I thought particularly the free-kick save was... I mean, I thought that was in for the life of me. It yeah. was a great stop. And he's been doing that week after week. Um, certainly, he's he's having a very good campaign. I think, you know, when you look at his overall impact, it's not so, it's sort of not just his goalkeeping, is it? It's also his footwork, the level of comfort he has with the ball. I know that's part of goalkeeping, but uh, it's difficult to think of someone having quite such a transformative impact on the team as a keeper. Yeah, I mean, look, I have to say I've been increasingly impressed with him as the season has gone on. Uh, you know, I wasn't always convinced at the start, but I think he looks very, very comfortable now. I think the team looks more comfortable with him in it. Um, the saves he makes are, are fantastic. 
you look around at some of the other goalkeepers in the Premier League and I don't think that we have overpaid in any way for Bernd Leno when you look at the, the, the quality of the performances that he's given us. Mm. You know, is he having a better season than Kepa? Probably. And yeah. that's what, a £40 million difference in, in the transfer fee, whatever it might be. I can't remember how much. How much did they pay for Kepa in the end? Something silly, like £70 million, yeah. Right, we paid 22 and a half for Leno. You know, same with um, uh, Alisson at, at Liverpool, you know, who's made a big difference to them. It feels like we have a a goalkeeper much more suited to the modern game, if you like. As much as I like Petr Cech, you know, he is a, he's a guy who's been around a very long time and, of course, he's, he's retiring. Um, I think Chesney had a couple of good seasons for us, but, you know, I'm not sure that I can remember a goalkeeper having a really, really big effect on the team in the same way since maybe Lehman mm. in the Invincible season. And even then, you know, Lehman, there's an element of rose-tinted glasses with Jens because he was such a character and we all loved him. But, you know, there were moments when um, when when Lehman didn't quite do it in in that invincible season not necessarily in the Premier League because he was brilliant in the Premier League but I remember a couple of European games um isn't there a brilliant quote where we were playing Russian team maybe Moscow one of the Moscows or or whatever it was and he came out to kick the ball and missed it and the guy scored and uh his quote oh, after yeah. the game was my mood is as dark as the skies over London you know so um I, I think we've had goalkeeping issues, you know, uh, and a bit of goalkeeping PTSD down the years <laughs> because of mm. some of the guys that we've had in there and, and um, some of the performances that they've put in. But, you know, all in all, very impressed with, with what Leno is doing and I hope he keeps it up between now and the end of the season. Yeah, and I think like Lehman, he's prompted a bit of a, a stylistic shift in how we how we use our goalkeeper. And you know, I think we have had a really traumatic period and... Part of that, I mean, it's looking a long way back, but, you know, replacing David Seaman was this huge thing. And I know Lehman was excellent, but he was only ever a short-term option. And then we entered those kind of wilderness years of Almunia and the, the two poles. But, uh, yeah, I really like I really like what Leno's doing. And I like his age profile as well. I like that he can theoretically be there for a long time. And I think he deserves to be right in that that top bracket of goalkeepers that we mentioned. Mm. Okay, here is a question from Mark Holmes, who's at Holmster79, uh, who wants to know, what's your predicted lineup for Napoli? He says, I think we'll go with three of the back, Maitland-Niles and Kolasinac's wingbacks. What would your team and formation be? Well, I, I think we can kind of do quite a lot of work in terms of working out what it will be based on sort of who didn't didn't play. I mean, I think Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles will play at wing back. I think Socrates will obviously come back in to the back three. Um, I think probably with Koscielny and Monreal. Uh, I think there's a chance that Koscielny isn't there, but... I, yeah, I mean, do you think Koscielny can do three games in a week? I think he won't play Sunday, basically. You you don't think he'll play against Crystal Palace? That would be yeah, my would... thinking on it too, you know? Um, but of course, Socrates can't play against Crystal Palace. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it's actually a very tricky one. I mean, I, I was of the 
thinking going into the Watford game that Koscielny had to play it, I was like, you know, ultimately we can't. Yeah, he's too important. Without... He's too important yeah. defensively not to play. And if you're going to Napoli, he's too important not to play. So he's got to sacrifice him for one of those games. Possibly, yeah. I mean, what happens after the Palace game? I'm just thinking ahead. We have Wolves away. Yeah. You think he's probably got to play that game. So maybe, yeah, we go with a back four on Sunday, which doesn't include... I mean, yeah, because think going without Koscielny and Socrates on Sunday, I think Emery will just have to cross that bridge when he gets to it. I think he's got to play Koscielny and then make an assessment. So yeah. I think Mustafi might sit this one out. Um Check uh, obviously behind in midfield. I think Torreira probably starts, uh, assuming that there's, that there's nothing in that foot injury. Then I think it then becomes a little bit trickier ahead of that to yeah. identify. I think Ramsey will start, but I'm not really sure where. If it'll be one of the deeper two or further ahead. Um, I think Lacazette might start. Uh, yeah, I think he'll think. start like I said. I think that's probably part of why he wasn't used last night. You know, aside from the fact we used up a sub, we we you know we probably shouldn't have made. Um, I, I, yeah, I think there's every chance that Iwobi and Mkhitaryan won't play. I mean, Mkhitaryan I thought was dreadful against Watford, and the fact he stayed on probably tells you he's yeah. not starting third. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, the fact that he sort of put Iwobi and Mkhitaryan at wing-backs, even though that's not their position, and said, can you guys just sort of chunter up and down the sidelines for the remainder of the game? Yeah, do the job. tells yeah. you, yeah, they're, they're not playing. They're not starting, I think, in Italy. So I think it will be maybe Shaka alongside Torreira and then uh, Ozil and Ramsey off Lacazette, something like that. Hmm, yeah. I wonder about Torreira. I wonder if he'll play Torreira. I mean, if, I think he should... You know, because he's, you know, got great experience uh, against Serie A teams. He was very good yeah. in the first game against Napoli. He only played 45 minutes last night. You know, he has a lot of qualities that we'll need, but I, I just wonder a little bit about that one. The the one I I query sort of from a tactical point of view is actually Shaka. If it was up to me, I would probably go uh, Torreira and Ramsey deep and then bring in you know, either in a Wobi or maybe even a Bomiang as well up front. Because I think if we score in this game, it's probably over. So um, you would play midfielder Torreira and Ramsey with what, Ozil? Would you play Ozil? I think I would. I think I would play Torreira, Ramsey, and then uh, I'd play Lacazette and then two from Ozil, Iwobi and Aubameyang. I'm not sure. Can't figure out the. Did you see the? Did you see Aubameyang's um, post-match interview last night, where they yeah. asked him, you know, you did a job there tonight on your own, uh, you know, but do you prefer playing with a partner with Lacazette? He went, yeah, you know, everybody knows. I really like playing with Laka. We've got good connection, but you know, I better not say it because the manager will get a bit. Uh, and he didn't finish because they were they were just laughing at that point, but. Uh, you know, if we are going to have a go at Napoli, mm. do you think he might play the two? I mean, the only thing is it doesn't leave us with anything on the bench if we need it. If we start the two, then we're reliant on those two doing it within the 90 minutes. It's difficult to change from an attacking point of view if you don't really have an attacker on the bench. 
Yeah, I think he will start Lacazette and leave Aubameyang in case we need him in that last half hour. And, and I'm sure he will play the last half hour in some capacity. Um, but yeah, I think Torreira, for me, has to play. I thought he was instrumental in the first leg and I think if he's fit, he's, he's got to play. I, I didn't think Shaka was great against Watford. No, me neither. But then, you know, just back from an injury... Hasn't yeah. played he for. Looked rusty. Yeah, looked yeah a bit I know rusty. he used. I know he had a lot of the ball, but I, I'd never felt he was particularly effective with it. Um, we shall see. We shall see. But I think you know we we can we can surmise certain things based on who didn't didn't play, and uh, there mm. is at least a bit of freshness going into that game. You know, Kalasnac should be relatively fresh. Uh, Socrates obviously will be. Uh, Maitland-Niles should be relatively fresh. Lacazette. You know, we. I mean, how are you feeling about the, the Napoli game? Um, there is a good question. Uh, <laughs> are we as bad away from home in Europe as we are in the Premier? I mean, we lost to Bate and we, we lost, lost to Bate to, and we lost to Ren. To so Ren. we're pretty bad. <laughs> pretty bad. Um, I feel like we've got a goal in us. Like, I'm not necessarily sure we'll win. But I think if, we could if we go score, through. They need four. Is that right? They yes. need four to go through. To, to to go through three to take it to extra time. If it goes to the end of extra time, do we go through on away goals? Or is it yeah. penalties? Yeah, I don't know. I I think we might go through at ninety. Do we not? Um, I, I don't know. It's bad that I don't know this. Uh, I'm going to look it up. But yeah, I think I think we've got enough to score. And if we score, I mean, I also think the first 20 minutes is absolutely crucial, isn't it? Like, if we concede an early goal, we're in big trouble. Yeah, it wouldn't be a good thing. That's for sure. That is for sure. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to get the... I've got the Europa League rules in front of me. The away goals rule. For matches played on the knockout system, if the two teams involved in the tie score the same number of goals over the two legs, the team which scores more away goals qualifies for the next stage. So that is pre-extra time. So they would have right, to score four, yeah, if we score. We need to go there and score because I think it just... If we score the first goal, I think it kills the atmosphere, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's probably why you should... Um, have a little bit of a go. Maybe that could be why, you know, he's targeted the, the Napoli fullbacks, perhaps. You know, Maitland-Niles mm. only did whatever he did 15 minutes last night. Kolasinac didn't play. Maybe that's the plan. Is really I feel r- like try and run them right. Kolasinac get in time after time in the home game. Mm, he might um, need to do something with the ball, though, you know, this time when he goes through. Sure, so. sure. Uh, let's have another question. This mm. is from Joe, who's at JoeArsenal underscore. Joe says, Emery signed a two-year deal with an option of a third, and so come the summer, will technically be in the final year of his contract. Can we expect an announcement that the option has been taken up or that he signed a longer-term deal this summer? Um, no. I don't see why we would. You know, but but in fairness, if we win the Europa League or if we qualify for the Champions League via the top four, there might well be something there 
or might well be a reason to make that public. But otherwise, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, the two plus one thing is widely reported, but it's not. The club don't really tend to make much noise about when they trigger these extensions, if they do at all. I suppose the reason the question's there is partly because, you know, Arsene Wenger's situation where he had sort of one year left was so, um, pulled so much focus. I just don't think it would be the same with Emery, would it? It's not quite the same scenario. No. the same weight attached to it. No. And the option is there, you know. Um, I presume there's a deadline for that option at yeah, some point. Yeah, they must but... have to give him some notice. They can't just tell him on his last day, you're staying. Um, <laughs> or, I mean, or you're going. Yeah, true. I mean, I think if he does win the Europa League or make the top four, uh, there's a chance that they formalise some sort of contract extension, well, partly just to protect themselves. You know, it, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, it would be based on merit. It would be based on merit, and also I think we're so used to having a manager in Arsene Wenger who never wanted to leave Arsenal that uh, we're not used to the idea that our manager could be poached. I mean, there are big clubs in Spain who might be looking for managers in the next two or three years, and Emery's record in Spain and potentially at Arsenal would make him a candidate in those situations. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't necessarily see at this moment in time that he's going to get a bigger club than Arsenal. No, I don't think he is at this moment in time. But, you know, we're saying if we win the Europa League or if something yeah. happens to sort of put a flourish on his CV, I think... Uh, I don't think he's done his credentials any harm in this period, certainly. No, I don't think so. I'm not saying that. I just don't think at this moment in time there's a bigger club than Arsenal that would be after Unai Emery. And it doesn't mean to say that if, you know, he was sacked tomorrow by Arsenal, there wouldn't be clubs out there... Uh, who who would take him on and give him a job. I don't mean that either. I just mean in terms of equivalent size and, you know, supposed ambition and, and all the rest. So, no, I don't necessarily see a, a situation where they announce anything this summer um, unless there are circumstances which which make that happen. And uh, Yeah, hopefully, I mean, and to be do. honest, I think even if we do achieve those things, which, look, we've got a realistic possibility of doing, mm. uh, I'd be slightly surprised if they if they did anything on the contract. I just think they might give it a bit more time and mm. see how we start next season um, because they're not under massive pressure to to do it. All right, we have a question here from Sam J, who is at underscore Irvy underscore on Twitter. And he says, that might be my favourite sending off v Arsenal. Talking about the Troy Deeney one last night. Can you think of any better... Adi Bayor springs to mind. Now, yes. this I'm reliant on your really excellent memory here because I, you know, I can't remember um, any. Sendings off against Arsenal mm. that I've really enjoyed. I'm trying to think now. Uh, what was the question we had last week where we didn't remember to say something and till the end and we, we saved ourselves by remembering the Just thing. about, we can't even remember that. We can't even remember that. William um, Gallas! William Gallas. William Gallas, yeah, yeah. of course. Uh, I mean, my memory's so bad, I can't even particularly remember the Adebayor well, thing. Adebayor, when he played for Spurs. Yeah, when it? he played for Spurs, and it happened at the yeah. Emirates after about 25 minutes, half an That's hour, right. something like that. Had he also missed a penalty? 
Or had he scored a penalty? Some, there was something like that. Maybe it was a different game. It was one of the five twos, wasn't it? Uh, I think it uh, might have been. Yeah. Um, what a day that must have been. Uh, I, I honestly cannot remember. I'm trying to think of players that I've sort of hated down the years and if they ever got sent off. Like, did Roy Keane ever get sent off against us? I don't mm. particularly recall that. Van Nistelrooy. I feel like part of the reason you hate players often is because they tend to get away with stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. There's probably loads, loads and loads here. Um, I've even Googled list of players sent off against Arsenal and I'm not getting any... Does that exist? No, I'm not getting any good results here. If you Google red card Arsenal at the moment, it's just, yeah, it's lots, just lots of stuff pitch, about Troy Deeney. Pictures of Troy Deeney <laughs> with his top off, which no one needs to see. Um, I'm sorry, listeners. I cannot think uh, of anybody really. Red card. Okay, red cards. V. Well, this question was a complete bust, wasn't it? It was a. It was a lovely idea, but I've got for one the here. Life of I've it. got a video here. Pogba red card versus Arsenal 2017. I don't. For going in late on Hector Bellerin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. Definite red card. Definite red card. But did you, like, love it? Were you, you know, no. It didn't have the same no. satisfaction as the Deeney one. Because there's not the history with Pogba. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, enjoyable sendings off against Arsenal. Uh, you've got to mention Di Canio, haven't you? For in Sheffield Wednesday when he pushed the referee. I mean that was enjoyable. It was watch. enjoyable, but you know, I didn't I don't think I particularly hated Decanio or anything at that moment in time. Probably liked him more after that. <laughs> um Yeah, uh, but we've made yeah. a bollocks of this question, that's for sure. There's going to be loads of people out there who go, "Oh, I can't believe you forgot this one. Can't believe you forgot that one." I know. I can believe it though. John Terry, did he ever get sent off against us? He did slip, did. didn't he? He did, fell over. He slipped, but he was very much on the pit. He was stretched off, of course, after Abu Dhabi tried to kill him. Yeah. But never, I don't think, sent off. That's um, a shame. That is a real shame. That's be something I would have loved to have seen happen. Mm. Um, alas. Uh, okay, well, three look. Players, who was sent off in the, in the Carling Cup final in 2007? In that game where Terry was stretched off, Adebayor was sent off. Ibuwe? Torre was sent Toure. off. And it was Mikel for Chelsea. John Obi and Mikel. Again, yeah, I don't yeah, have like, strong yeah. feelings about Mikel. Yeah. Never mind, we tried. We did our Diego best. Diego Costa, has he been sent off? Has he? I think, let's see. Diego no. Costa, red card, Arsenal. No, I mean, he got Gabriel sent off. Yeah. Evil mastermind Diego Costa draws red card against Arsenal. Evil mastermind. <laughs> well, either our memories are terrible or evil I've mastermind is giving it. him a lot of credit, I've isn't just it? Seen it. I, I googled Diego Costa red card Arsenal. The first one is the evil mastermind Diego Costa headline. The second headline is from The Telegraph. Arsenal fans boycott Costa Coffee over Gabriel Redcard. <laughs> I mean, no, right what? Too. No, they Quite didn't. Quite right, too. But they didn't. Nobody did that. 
Nobody did that. Oh. Uh, Costa coffee. I mean, it's not great coffee. Yeah, uh, to be fairness, uh, to be fair, I, I've completely boycotted Starbucks after Billy Starbucks scored that goal against us Yeah, in the final. <laughs> Billy Starbucks. Billy um, Starbucks. Uh, what about this question from Gab? Speaking of Gabrielle, uh, at the letter Gab, do you worry that when the home games come around, we'll take them for granted and get a shock? <laughs> no. No, I, I don't think we... I, look, I don't... One of the things... Really, that, I do, I you, do. <laughs> I just don't think you can... Uh, one of those things that you can accuse us of this season is taking things for for granted. I don't feel like that's our issue. You know, I, I think that was certainly an issue under Arsene Wenger at times. There was an expectation that we just had to turn up to win. And uh, I remember Bakary Sanya maybe saying that very explicitly one time. Yeah, we just saw we had to turn up and win. And this was after a game we got beaten in. So, no. Um, uh, hopefully that's not a precursor to what's going to happen on, on Sunday against uh, Crystal Palace. But no, I don't think that's it. I don't think our issues this season are really about complacency. I think they're a little bit more complex than that. OK, I don't worry about the Brighton game because they're really bad. I don't know if you saw their game against Bournemouth this weekend, but they were absolutely taken to pieces. Brighton? But... Was that Brighton? We're yeah. not playing Brighton. Aren't we? No. No, we're playing Palace, then Wolves. Are we playing Brighton? We are playing Brighton. Right, sorry aren't for we? putting doubt in your mind. I can't... I, uh, oh, hang on, are we? Have I dreamt this? Yeah, no, we are, we are, we are. My bad. I'm very On the bad 4th here. of May, we're playing Brighton. Okay, yes, phew. we are. Okay, sorry, I apologise. To everyone that's booked tickets to go to that game and try... Wait, what? Did they move it? Um, uh, yes, we are playing bright. So I don't really worry about that game. I know that they, you know, might be still sort of mathematically in a scrap, but I think we'll be all right. I... The Palace game slightly worries me, I confess. What um, exactly about that game worries you? They have some attacking players who are OK. That's that's what worries me. Zaha, I'm thinking is that, that's it. Zaha, I'm thinking Bakshwai, I'm thinking Christian Benteke, who never scores, but inevitably will score against us with a header. This is what I'm thinking. Andros Townsend scoring from 30 yards once every three years and it happening. I know it happened at City earlier the season, but wouldn't it just be our luck? Didn't he Palace already? worries me and it's... After the Napoli, yeah, he did it against Man City, didn't he? Amazing. But did he score against us already this season, or did he win a penalty or something like that? Well, this is the one I'm talking about, Andrew. Mm. This is the stuff, kind of stuff that has got me awake at night. Um, mm. But and we'll have just, you know, we'll be at the end of that sort of four-game week uh, or three-game week rather. But right, yeah. So Palace, I do worry a little bit that we might take it for granted but not nearly as much as I worry about Wolves and Leicester. For some reason, I'm taking Burnley for granted. For some reason, I'm like, yeah, we'll beat them. It won't be fair. They'll, they'll get a penalty or an offside goal or something will happen. Yeah. But Wolves and Leicester, I'm like, they're going to be actual football matches against actual teams away from home. I have no confidence whatsoever. Those, get the those are the worrying games. Uh, that's for sure. That's for but sure. But it's fine. I've got us losing those games and we're still... Still on 77 points. 
Once we yeah. only lose them 1-0, I guess. We don't want to be get, getting spanked. Well, we've got to batter Brighton. That's the thing. We've got to win about 10-0 against Brighton. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, Brighton seems to me like one of those games where the goalkeeper has a brilliant day. Their goalkeeper. I mean, the thing is, they are potentially very much in the relegation scrap. If Cardiff can sort of get a result between now and then, because they're five points off at the moment. Five points could be clear of, of Cardiff. Yeah, you could. It's not a lot. So you could be up against a team who are fighting for their lives. Mm. Um, oh, it looks like Burnley are going to survive. That's yeah. good. I suppose that's good. I don't good. know how. What have they got going for them? I mean, Ash- that team. Ashley Barnes. Isn't that the guy? Yeah, and Chris Wood. They're just a bunch of white guys, aren't they? I mean, what, what is their team? <laughs> just a bunch of white guys. Seriously, I mean, like, they've got players I've never even... I'm looking at their bench. Joe Hart plays for Burnley. Do you know what I mean? Well, he doesn't even play for Burnley. He's a sub. Ward, Gibson, Brady. Oh, yeah, he's Irish. Be fair to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Todd. I mean, Todd. Todd Chase. Who's he? I've never heard of him. Kurt Phillips. What's going on? I never, never heard of that guy. Who are these guys? Chaz Aronson. I don't know anything about these these Burnley guys. Hopefully, they'll be well rested and on the beach. So. Yeah, I mean, they are. They are right in the sort of in the on the beach territory. Mm. Thirty nine points. They're not going down. They're not getting into the top half, probably. They might sneak it, but they're not catching Watford, actually, so no, they won't. So just please don't bother trying Burnley yeah. in that match. Please, if you wouldn't mind. OK, final question, very quick one, uh, from Gunnar Pow Wow. Who's that Gunnar Pow Wow one? He said, let's be honest, the match was terrible. What did you think of Game of Thrones? Didn't watch it. Don't, no. don't, don't watch it. I no. can't believe it. It's right up my street. But I'm just too far behind. I've seen season one. I'm never going to catch up now. Yeah. I I think the dragon's going to win in the end, I guess. Probably. What, what, what do you think? Um, do you enjoy it? I didn't really. I'm at the point. Really? That, yeah. Like, I've watched it because it's kind of watchable and what have you, but I'm at the, I just could not give a fuck about any of them or what happens to them. Is it sort of like how you feel about the title race? <laughs> Someone's going to so win it. I don't give a shit who it is. Yeah, I, I don't I, like any of them anyway. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. Like if a super dragon came in at all the dragons and then did a massive fiery shit over everybody in the Game of Thrones world and they all burned to death, covered in dragon shit, that would be fine with me. I don't need. Maybe a hero that's how it ends. Maybe that is how it is. Sorry, ends. folks. Spoiler alert right there. Spoiler alert. Now, I feel very left out that I'm not watching it. Um, nah. 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 It's all right, is it? Yeah. yeah. I don't think you're missing out on that much, to be perfectly honest. Okay. It's just... Well, I won't spend several days of my life desperately trying to catch Yeah, up. you don't need I mean, to... I feel like I could start watching it now and it would be fine. I'd be like, they're trying to... They're trying to be the king or something, aren't they? Yeah. I don't know how many episodes there are. What there must be what series is I think this is series twelve or oh is it? Oh yeah. Okay. So that's what? Ten episodes a season at what have you got? You've got you've watched the first one, so you've got six seasons. Uh so that's sixty hours. So basically you could just binge watch it from now until the Napoli game. 
And you'd I be need f- something to do. Yeah. Take my mind off it. <laughs> well, there you go then. There you go. Uh, but of course, you All know right. the ending now, so there's not much point. I'll report back. Mm. I'll report back. All right. Um, right. Onwards. We'll, Napoli. We'll leave it there. Napoli, Napoli. Glory. Fingers crossed. I feel like we can score, James. I feel like we can score. And if we can score, then we go through. Unless we concede four goals. <sighs> yes, of course. It's in the balance. <laughs> it's right in the balance. <laughs> it's 50-50. Touch and go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As ever, thank you very much indeed for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a rating or review on iTunes. We'd love that a lot. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Also, um, we will have an Arscast on Friday post-Napoli. Uh, we'll be recording uh, at some point just after the game has finished, so we'll get all the reaction to that and a look ahead to our game against Crystal Palace. Out Friday morning as usual, so until then, take it easy. Bye-bye.